Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kessler Sports Talk. I'm your host, Charlie Kessler. Thanks for stopping by. You find me on Twitter at Kessler, that's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-S-P-Talk, and Instagram, Kessler, K-E-S-S-L-E-R-S-P-Talk. Send me a tweet or DM. I'm always looking for guests and room for improvement with the show. You can listen to Kessler Sports Talk on any of the major podcasting platforms. You can also listen to us on our very own website. Just type in podpage.com slash Kessler dash sports dash talk. You can find us there if podcasting platforms just isn't your thing. So, so much to talk about in the sports world today. Let's not waste any time. Let's talk about it. Here's a guy that has a deep understanding. The home runs are there, 19 on the season. The RBI is there, 16 on the season. I do question the whole situation with him. I do think that takes some leadership points off. And I hate saying that, but they have to. You don't know what you're going to get. It, it's exciting. That's why I listen to Kessler Sports Talk. All right, so tonight we're going to talk Mets baseball. And what a brutal year it was. After 101 wins last year, they finished under 500 this year. And so much blame to go around. You can blame Buck a little bit, right? A lot of people complain about his lineup card every night. And I'm not going to blame him for that. As you all heard, recent reports, Billy Epler forced him to utilize Vogelback and play Vogelback at the DH spot more often than he would have liked. So I think it's unfair to blame him for the lineup card. I myself had question marks and concerns about some of the lineups that were being put out there. But clearly, his hands were tied. God only knows what else happened behind closed doors. We're only hearing about Vogelback. So I don't want to blame him on the bullpen, or the uh, lineup, excuse me. But the bullpen, definitely, I question his methods and, and the pieces he used at times. I didn't really love the way he utilized Drew Smith. Drew Smith clearly struggled this year with the walks, the home runs. I didn't like seeing him in high leverage situations for a big part of the first half of the season. I felt like he could have pushed Robertson a little bit more. So there there were some concerns with how he utilized the bullpen. But I don't put a lot of blame on him. Epler, you know, you could put blame on him. He clearly did not address the DH spot like he should have. Vogelback was not. The option, I don't know why he was so stuck on Vogelback. As I said earlier, he forced Buck to play him. So I do think Epler deserves some blame with the, you know how he handled the DH spot and his lack of care, it seemed like, with actually getting a DH, a true DH. But I don't think you put a lot of blame on Epler either, right? I think you put the blame on the lack of production from the players. Because here's the deal. Epler went out and got Scherzer. And then, obviously, this year, you had Verlander. You had Scherzer last year, who contributed big for the Mets. He was a big reason why, in the absence of DeGrom, the Mets won 101 games. But Epler, he brings in the pieces, right? He brings in Robertson. He brings in Verlander. He brings in Scherzer. And, obviously, more. But to name the big ones. So, he brought in pieces. Right, you bring back Nimmo, you bring back Diaz. I could go down the list. He brought pieces in. It is not his fault Verlander was hurt. 
It's not his fault Diaz got hurt in a freak injury. It's not his fault that Scherzer, just for whatever reason this year, forgot how to pitch. Right? That is not on him. The lack of performance from the players is not on him. He just creates the roster. As for Buck, the blame is on him. Because at the end of the day, even though I felt like he utilized the bullpen a little poorly at times, these guys are major league pitchers. they got to produce. It's not his fault Drew Smith struggles with the command and the walks and the home runs. It's not his fault that Vogelback, even though Vogelback shouldn't have been the DH, it's not his fault Vogelback, who's supposed to have this great eye and great power, can't hit, can't swing, can't do anything. So it's not on Buck and Epler. I truly believe the blame for this horrible season goes on the lack of production from the players, whether it was a lack of care. You know, obviously injuries play injuries play a part of it, but I hate blaming injuries because every team has injuries. Um, but it was just the product the lack of production. There was no production where you needed. Verlander looked good, yes, but Verlander was hurt. Scherzer didn't look good. No one really in the starting pitching other than Sanga looked good. Sanga looked fantastic. Another great move by Epler, right? So we can, you can get mad at Epler all you want, but Epler made fine moves. Sanga, another big move by him. Sanga looked great. But realistically, in the starting rotation, Sanga and then Quintana when he came back, those were the only two people that looked really good. Verlander looked solid, but not the Verlander we're used to seeing. And then he obviously gets traded. Scherzer, too, and Scherzer stunk. Peterson, McGill, they didn't do good. So you have to blame it on the lack of production from these guys. You know, it's it's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do if you're uh, Epler or Buck. You make the lineup. You sign and trade for players. They have to show up. They have to produce. Right? So that is who I'm blaming for the horrible season. It's got to be on the players. We put too much emphasis on blaming the GMs and the managers. Obviously, there's plenty of blame to go around with GMs in general, managers. But I feel like anytime a team is playing bad, you you go right down to the manager and blame them. You'll see it all over Instagram, Twitter, this, that. You'll see it everywhere. Everyone's so quick to blame the manager. And yes, at times, the manager deserves some blame. But at the end of the day, I feel like we're too critical on managers and coaches, because they can only do so much. They're not out there swinging the bat, throwing the ball. And in this case, I felt like fans were very, very tough on Buck. They ridiculed him, wanted him fired, and as you all know, they got what they wanted. He's gone. And it was unfair, because at the end of the day, Buck Showalter, last time I checked, isn't throwing 200 innings. He isn't getting 500 plate appearances. He's just managing the team. They have to show up and play well. So, Leading it to that buck, as you all know, he's gone. And I personally don't agree with the move. Wonder how you guys feel. I put a poll at the end of this podcast, so when you listen to it, you could interact with it. And I'll see how you guys feel about this move. But to me, it is not the right move. 101 wins last year. And yes, you have to give the credit to the players, because they performed. But Buck did very well as a manager. I'll never forget, in Miami... I don't have the date of the game, but you guys will remember it. In Miami, I forget who hit the ground ball, but it was a ground ball second base, the second baseman. Nimmo was running from first to second. He gets tagged out, and they throw the runner out at first. That was the ruling on the field. Buck Showalter manages, or uh, challenges, excuse me. Buck Showalter challenges both calls. 
if you remember. He challenged the call first because he felt the runner was safe, and the runner was safe. But he also challenged Nimmo being ruled out because if you look beforehand, the umpire called him out before he was even tagged, which is why he stopped running. And he won both challenges, so now you have a runner. Instead of two outs, a double play, you have Nimmo back on second, and you have whoever hit the ground ball on first. That is great managing right there. So, again, you have to give the players the credit for the 101 wins, but Buck Showalter had a big part in it. And I felt like after one bad season, it was not the right call letting him go. Right? It was one bad season. So, I I really thought it was... I don't want to say a bad move because only time will tell, but I personally did not like the move to let him go. I felt that it was not fair to him after one bad year. So, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't really love it. I don't really care for the move, but they're not consulting me, right? The players loved him. Look at Lindor. Look at Lindor's daughter. I know you guys don't want to hear it. You want to hear about results. But Lindor... He loved Buck Showalter, and he's just one guy, right? You you all know uh, Pete Alonso loved him. Pete Alonso, when he heard that they were letting Buck go, he wanted to talk to management, and he was almost in tears. The guys like playing for him, and that means something. I know we want to see results. I know we, we only care about the, the big picture of did Buck Showalter win, but these guys really liked playing for him, and that is another big piece. You want to see players you know, care for a manager, want to play under a manager. The fact that Pete Alonso was upset and Lindor was upset, that tells me that he had control of the clubhouse. Another big piece of being a manager. So, again, not a huge fan of the move, but, they, you know, the Mets, they don't really care how I feel about it. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to move on from Buck, and they did it. Who knows whose decision really was? I'm sure Stearns, he made the final call, and it was mostly his decision, but who knows how Cohen felt, who knows how Epler felt before he stepped down. So I don't know whose decision it was. Obviously, mostly Stearns, obviously. But, uh, I mean, I don't know who also played part in this decision, if it was just Stearns or more than Stearns. But to Buck Showalter... We love you. We we loved everything you gave to the Mets. I hope he gets a sh- uh, shot somewhere else. They're saying he really wants to manage the Angels. I got to be honest with you. I don't know why. Shohei Otani won't be there next season. And who knows what Trout. First of all, he's got to play. He never plays anymore because he's always hurt. But even if he does play, I'm sure the Angels will try to trade him, get that contract off their you know payroll. So... I, I don't know why he would want to manage the Angels. Maybe he just feels that's his way back in. He just really wants to manage. But he's setting himself up for failure with the Angels. You're not winning anything, unfortunately, with them. But to Buck Showalter, I wish you the best of luck. Don't agree with the decision. Wish you were still wearing the blue and orange. But, again, not my decision. Right? So, Buck Showalter's gone. Not the move I would have liked to see. Like I said, Great manager, players loved him, had control of the clubhouse. I loved his interactions with the media. He's funny, but he was he was straight to the point. Loved loved the guy. But he is gone, and now we have to figure out who's going to replace him. Now, there's three names that I see popping up a lot. I don't know if they're the three finalists, but I think that at least two of the three of them are finalists. 
You have Craig Council. He, in my opinion, is the favorite to land this job. You have Carlos Beltran, who, as you all remember, was hired not too long ago, a few years ago. And uh, he had to step down with the uh, whole incident with the uh, Astros sign stealing. So those are the two people that I think are really finalists for this position, this uh, spot, the manager position here. But uh, another name that I see popping up, and he is an option. Like I said, I think Craig Council and Carlos Beltran really are more finalists for this open manager spot for the Mets. But another name is Eric Chavez. He's another. He's a dark horse. You gotta watch out for him, right? So those are the three. I'll start with who I think should get it, and that's Craig Council. Obviously, my top choice is Buck Showalter, but he's gone. So with him gone, I think the next best option would be Craig Council. Very successful with the Brewers. He had a .531 winning percentage as a manager with them, right? Last three years with the Brewers, 95 wins, 86 wins, and 92 wins. He has experience. So not only is he successful, as a manager, he has a track record of being successful, but he has experience. And I want someone to come in with experience. I don't really want a first-time manager, per se. Me, personally, I want to see someone with experience take over this role. But, you know, we've seen first-time managers come in and, and do very well. And everyone at one point is a first-time manager. So I won't hate on the move if they go with Beltran or Chavez or any other first-time manager. But I want to see experience, and that's what Council offers, right? So that is my personal favorite, right? He's buddies with Stearns. Uh, I like his passion. I think players in Milwaukee will say they like playing for him. He definitely has his players back. That's another thing. I always see him out there arguing with the umpires this or that. He always has his players back. I really like what I see from him. Most importantly, he has a track record of success. So he's my top choice. But Carlos Beltran does have something to offer. I think a lot of the players would like playing for him. He obviously has ties as he played for the Mets. And I personally think he would be a good manager. He knows the game. You know, I do think if the Mets gave him a chance, he would succeed very well. Not as well as counsel, but he would succeed. You know, he knows the game very well. He was a very good player. It doesn't always translate from player to manager, but I think in this case, it will. Right? Mets hired him, like I said, a few years ago, back in 2019. And the Astro sign stealing, that whole thing, he had to step down. Um, maybe the Mets decide it's been a few years. Let's go for it again. So we'll we'll see. I think those are the top two, Council or Beltran. But like I said, Dark Horse, uh, Eric Chavez, you cannot rule him out. right? He's a good option. First of all, I do think he'd be a good manager. You know, I did like what, what I saw from him as the Mets hitting coach. The Mets were hitting really well with him as the hitting coach last year. He knows the stuff. He's a good player. Mets hit very well under him last season. And now, look, this season, or, you know, the season that just ended here, they didn't hit anything. And he was the bench coach, not the hitting coach. So I do think that, that the Mets struggles this season that just ended here, I do think that has something to do with the fact that Chavez was not their hitting coach. Because in 2022, when they won 101 games, they were hitting incredible. Great situational hitting, hitting for power. They were doing everything right with Chavez being their hitting coach. Chavez gets promoted to bench manager 
uh, bench coach, excuse me, and uh, all of a sudden they go cold. The hitting wasn't the worst. I mean, you saw people like Alonzo and Lindor hit pretty well, but as a team overall, I'm saying the hitting definitely regressed opposed to 2022 there. So, And I think he has something to do with it. So obviously the Mets like him. They gave him a shot as hitting coach, and they promoted him to bench coach in 2023. So, I think it's someone, you know, he's already in the organization. The Mets have already promoted him. He was a good player. He clearly knows his stuff. He has a, a track record of success. Not as much as, obviously, Council. But you, you could look at it and say, look, look at how well the Mets were hitting under him. So, he's another option. And those are the three options that I'm looking at. There's probably other options out there that we're not discussing here. But I think you're looking at Council and Beltran as the top two with Chavez being more of a dark horse. As I said, I think Council gets it. He's buddies with Stern. He has the most experience, the most successful track record. So I really, really think it's Craig Council's job to lose. But you can't rule out Beltran. The Mets hired him back in 2019. And, you know, it's been a while since that whole Astros, you know, stealing, sign-stealing scandal. So... Maybe they say, let's go for him one more time. You know, I'm sure Lindor would like playing for him. Um, and same with other guys, too. I'm sure Diaz would like playing for him. Obviously, Alonzo's going to like playing for him, I'm sure. Uh, one power hitter to another. So, we'll see what the Mets decide to do. But I don't think of those three names you could really go wrong. I think that there's some better than others. But if the Mets announce any of those three as manager for the Mets... I would be okay with all three options. Chavez, I'd scratch my head a little bit because that, I think, is more of a dark horse, like I said, out of left field. But I would be okay with Council and Beltran. I'd be very comfortable with both of them. And I'd be okay with Chavez, too. So we'll have to see what they do. As I said, I would really like to see Buck there. I mean, I, like I said, he, he, he was great. With everything. I mean, yes, you could put some blame on him with the um, bullpen utilization, but a lot of fans ridiculed him for the lineup. And, you know, I understood why they did it at the time, because there was no reason we should have saw Vogel back in the DH spot. There was no reason we should have saw Alvarez getting a lot of rest days. There was no reason it should have, you know, it should have taken them so long obviously, to incorporate Mauricio in the lineup, which is more of an Epler thing calling him up. But then uh, Buck was a little, I feel like, reluctant at times with some of the kids putting him in the lineup. But it was unfair to ridicule him for that because as the reports came out, Epler forced him to play Vogelback in the DH spot. All this time, we thought Buck Showalter just couldn't move on from Vogelback. When realistically, Buck Showalter wanted him out of the lineup, and Epler's telling him, no, you got to play him, because I made a stupid trade and traded Holderman for a Vogelback, which was a really stupid trade. So now, instead of me swallowing my pride and realizing I'm wrong, you got to play him. So, again, I think it's, we really have to be careful with how we ridicule people here, because I'm sure there's more than just a Vogelback incident. And I mean, people wanted this guy fired in the middle of the season, let alone at the end of the season. And as you can see, he wasn't even the reason Vogelback was getting so many opportunities. So let's not 
as a fan base, let's not go after these guys. Let's not ridicule these guys. Let's not, you know, drag these guys' names through the mud until we have all the details. Because, I mean, a lot of people ran Buck Showalter out of town, and a lot of people, the reason was, well, he keeps playing Vogelback, and look, it was all Epler's fault, not Showalter's fault. So, Showalter out. We'll see who they hire. I think it's most likely going to be Council, but good options there. In more shocking news, Billy Epler steps down. Who would have thought that he would have stepped down? Who had that on their bingo card? You know, I was shocked. I thought I, I didn't know what the Mets' plans were for him. You know, I didn't know what Stern had Stearns had planned for him. <laughs> Excuse me. But I thought he would stay on. And, you know, whether he stayed as a GM or, or they moved him, who knows. But I thought he would have stayed on with the Mets. I was shocked to hear the news that he was stepping down. As you all know, he stepped down. And the MLB announced right after he stepped down, which is why he probably stepped down, that they're uh, looking into his misuse of the, you know, the injured list. Um, and he says that he's stepping down because he wants to give Stearns and the Mets a clean slate. But I think he knew that they were coming after him for the misuse of the injured list. And that's why he stepped down. Only he'll know the truth on why he really stepped down. But who knows? I mean, and that was really shocking too, hearing that the MLB is investigating him for the misuse of the IL. But I wasn't super shocked, right? I, I didn't expect that to be the reason he was stepping down. Or at least, if that's not the reason he's stepping down, I'm shocked. You know, I was shocked to hear that after he stepped down that the MLB was looking into that. But I also wasn't, like, really, really shocked. And what I mean by that is, if you guys remember, there are a lot of weird coincidences where people miraculously, out of nowhere, found themselves on the, D the uh, IL, excuse me, for some weird reasons, like one thing that does come to mind is I remember with Tommy Hunter, I felt like he was on the IL a lot this year, this season that just ended here for back pain or some kind of back injury. But then he would be, you know, he, they'd take him off the IL and he'd come and pitch for them and he'd look perfectly fine. So, it, and Tommy Hunter is just one of the few examples I could think of. And I'm sure a lot of you listening also are thinking the same thing. There were, you know, a few instances where people just miraculously, whether it was a thumb injury, back injury, found themselves on the IL out of nowhere and found themselves on the IL for a while and then miraculously just came back like nothing happened. Tommy Hunter is the guy that comes to my mind, but I'm sure there's other examples. So I was shocked, but I also wasn't. I was like, well, that's really weird and shocking, but at the same point, off the top of my head, I have a few instances where that kind of makes sense. That it seemed a little weird at the time. So we'll see what MLB ends up doing if they really find anything. Maybe they won't find anything, and this is all just a funny joke, and it doesn't matter. But, you know, maybe there is more to this than we think. And, you know, maybe that is the big reason Epler stepped down, not to give Stearns a clean slate. But regardless of why Epler stepped down, and regardless of what MLB finds, what we need to worry about here is who's going to take over for Epler. I have no idea. I have no names for you guys on who's going to take over for Epler because I didn't expect him to step down to begin with. 
But one thing I do want to say on Epler's behalf here is a lot of people ridiculing him, and I think the ridicule is a little unfair. Let me put it this way. He does deserve some ridicule for his misuse of Daniel Vogelback. I can't believe he's telling Buck Showalter, put him in the lineup, put him in the lineup. He sucks. He can't hit. He doesn't even swing the bat. He can't run. He can't field. He can't do anything. So why is he even on the roster? Like, literally, he is the biggest liability that you could think of. And you went out and traded for him. And now you're telling the manager at the time, in Buck Showalter, that you have to play him. He can hit. So, you know, right off the bat, his specialty's gone. You say you got him because he could hit. Well, I don't see it. There's no pop in his bat. Maybe, you know, from time to time, a little bit. But there's no pop in his bat. There's no... He doesn't even swing. Everyone's like, you know, when the uh, when Eppler traded for him, all I heard was, well, he's got an excellent eye. Well, I mean, he just watches everything down the plate. I mean, he doesn't swing in anything. If you call that a good eye, then all right. That's not a good eye in my book. He, We already knew he couldn't field. You know, I was kind of hoping maybe he could be a backup first baseman for Alonzo. Forget that. He ain't fielding. Uh, he obviously ain't a pinch runner. So what does he offer to this team? He is the biggest liability I've ever seen. You gave a promising, not great. I mean, you saw Holderman struggle with the Pirates, but you gave up a somewhat promising, solid, middle reliever guy for this. So, I mean, Epler deserves some heat. But at the end of the day, Epler did a lot for the Mets, and I think he deserves more of an applause than, you know, any kind of hatred. You deserve some heat, obviously. I'm not saying he's perfect. Don't throw a parade for him. He deserves some heat. But I also think he deserves more of a pat on the back. And the reason why I say that is because look at these moves that he made for the Mets. I mean, he brings in Scherzer. Great move. I know Scherzer sucked, and now he's with the Rangers, and he was kind of a jerk when he left. But he was so crucial to the 2022 Mets. And also, he... Him signing with Mets showed the MLB world, the world that the Mets aren't messing around. We're ready to win, to bring in free, big free agents, to pay people. So the Scherzer move was such a big move for the Mets. Epler did that. Obviously with Cohen's wallet, but Epler did that. What about Verlander bringing Verlander in? I know he ended up getting traded, but he was solid while he was here. What about DeGrom? Epler decided not to match the Rangers' offer for DeGrom. And look at DeGrom. He's hurt. What about, you know, what about Senga? Senga, the biggest thing, the in my opinion, the biggest, best move you could argue that he made is bringing in Senga. And Senga is an ace. Rookie year, he was amazing. Probably going to be the Mets ace next year, most likely. So look at these moves that Epler's made. Yes, some, like Vogelback, were not pretty. But a lot of these moves, like bringing in Verlander, Scherzer, Senga, Bringing in Robertson, re-signing Diaz, re-signing Nimmo, letting DeGrom walk. And then look at the trade line he just had where he turned Verlander and Scherzer into so many great promising prospects. And also Robertson. He trades Robertson for two solid promising prospects. Not as great as the prospects he got for Verlander and Scherzer, but good prospects. Young promising prospects for an aging reliever that ends up struggling big time with his new team, and the Mets could go out and re-sign him this free agency if they want. So, look at the moves he's made. 
He's made a lot of good moves. I mean, this trade trade deadline, the 2023 Mets trade deadline, will go down as one of the best trade deadlines for the Mets. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's not good in the sense of you sold. You want to see them buy. But in the sense of selling, that's going to go down as one of the biggest fleeces I've ever seen. They got a superstar prospect for Verlander. They got another possible superstar prospect for Scherzer. Look at what they were able to get for Robertson. Two promising prospects. This is a big trade deadline that Epler had that's going to reshape the Mets' future. So he deserves credit there. You want to ridicule him for a few things, fine. Give him a little bit of heat. But this trade deadline, people don't realize this trade deadline will really reshape the Mets' future. They're going to be competitive next year. I think they're going to be really, really competitive in 2025. You know, I know a lot of people are saying that's the year that they're going to be the most competitive. And, yeah, I believe that. But the Mets are still going to be competitive in 2024. Very competitive. And the reason why is because these prospects like Acuna and Gilbert and, you know, the prospects that they already had, like Mauricio, this, that, I mean, they are in really good shape. And part of that, obviously, Apple didn't go out and trade for Alvarez and Mauricio. They were already here and Beatty and whatnot. But some of these guys like Gilbert and Acuna, that was on Epler. Epler made that happen. And that is going to reshape this team. We are in good shape for the future. So give Epler the credit that he deserves. Not saying throw a, a big old parade for him and, and you know, kiss his feet on the way out. I'm just saying, just acknowledge that he did pretty well. You know, not perfect, but fairly well. And that's a problem with his fan base. I'm not saying with everyone. I don't feel I do it. There's plenty of Mets fans out there that I don't think do it either. But there's also plenty of Mets fans you have in every fan base. So I'm not saying we have a big problem that other fan bases, you know, don't have. A lot of fan bases have it. But the problem I notice with a lot of Mets fans is you hate, you hate, you run a guy out of town, out of, uh, excuse me, run a guy out of town. And for what? For us to just bring in another guy and run them out of town too? I mean, why don't we appreciate some of the things these guys are doing, like Buck Showalter? Why don't we appreciate the 101-win season that he helped contribute? Didn't fully give. You know, it wasn't all on him, but he helped contribute, right? Let's appreciate Epler a little bit for making things happen, making us competitive in 2022 and reshaping this future. You know, it's okay to be a little hard. I'm not saying we should, you know, just not care. But I feel like, and it's New York. It's not just the Mets. The Yankees do too. A lot of player, a lot of teams do it. A lot of fans do it in New York. But we got to appreciate more. And that is a big problem with the New York fan base. Look, Trey Turner's first year with the Phillies. Struggling big time. What do they do? They give him a standing ovation. He turns the page. He plays better. And the Phillies are a few wins away from being in the World Series, which is likely, unfortunately. As a Mets fan, I appreciate them knocking out the Braves, but I don't like them either. So, you know, after knocking out the Braves, I want them knocked down next. But let's be realistic. They're a much better team than the Diamondbacks. They just are. So, 
you know, getting back on track here. See the difference? Lindor's first year with the Mets, he's struggling, and a lot of fans, not all of us, I didn't partake in it, I'm sure a lot of you didn't, but a lot of fans, boo him. See the difference? Trey Turner gets a standing ovation, Francisco Lindor gets booed. What player is going to want to come here if that continues? We want to see superstars in blue and orange, but what player is going to want to come here knowing, look, if I struggle, they're going to turn on me right away. What manager is going to want to come here after seeing the treatment Buck Showalter got? Look, Buck Showalter won 101 games the year before, has one mediocre year, not even horrible, just not a great year, and he gets, you know, he, he gets exiled pretty much on Twitter by the fans. That is not a good look, so we need to clean that up as a fan base, and I know it's the New Yorker in a lot of us, right? The Yankees do it too, and I think they do it worse, but... If we want to see the Mets succeed and be able to bring in guys, whether it's executives, GMs, managers, or players, we need to show them that we have their back. Even during the toughest times. And we're not doing that. We're turning on them right away. You saw that with Showalter, and it was unfair. You saw that with Epler. It was unfair. You see it with Lindor. The amount of booze he got his first year was unfair. Now look at him. I mean, you saw the report that he played all year with, you know, a banged-up elbow, bone spurs. I mean, and he had a great year. Just under 100 RBIs, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases. I mean, come on. So, again, we need to clean that up a little bit. But... You know, getting back on track here, we talked about Showalter, we talked about Epler. Now let's talk about Stearns. As you all know, this is old news. The Mets hire him as president of baseball operations. And how do we feel about this move? Well, overall, I'm happy. I did not like his first move where he let Buck go. But overall, I am excited about him being with the Mets, right? With Epler gone, he will handle the GM position too until they fill that spot. And I'm sure the Mets will focus on filling the manager the uh, manager spot before they fill the GM spot because Stearns has experience as a GM. So I'm sure they feel it's more pressing to hire you know a manager. Stearns could hold that spot and take care of it for a short period of time here. But Stearns... He has a good track record, right? You saw him as GM with the Brewers. He was GM for the Brewers between 2015 and 2022, right? Of those four years, seven of them, or excuse me, of those seven years, four of them were competitive. The three years that weren't was, first of all, 2020. They went 29-31, not bad, and that was a weird year. So I hate to hold that against them. That was a really weird year. The weirdest thing about that year, I don't know how you guys feel, but it was no fans in the stands. That was weird. And the cutouts, then they put the cutouts in. That was even weirder. So I don't want to hold that year against them. That was an unfair year for the players and the GMs and the managers. It was extremely weird year. So realistically, you could say four of the six years, the Brewers were competitive under him. The two years that they weren't were 2015 and uh, 2016. His first two years with them where he's reshaping and configuring the roster still. So as you can see, 
four of the seven seasons competitive, really four of the six, that's pretty darn good. And, you know, obviously you have to give more credit to the players. Like I said, they're the ones showing up, they're the ones competing. You have to give a lot of the credit to the players. But Stern still constructed those lineups. And they were pretty good lineups, right? But also I want to talk about some of the moves he made. Because the moves are on him. Let's talk about Yelich. Look, he traded for Christian Yelich. And Christian Yelich came to the Brewers and he was playing as a MVP caliber player. Now, I know he fell off a little bit, but when he first came to the Brewers, he was a superstar. You could argue pretty much the best player in the league. He was batting over 300, hitting over 30 home runs, over 40 home runs. I mean, he was killing it. And who did he give up for Yelich? He gave up no one. The, the prospects he gave up, none of them really amounted to anything. No offense to them. You know, I'm not rooting against them. I'm just stating facts. The prospects he gave up for Yelich, none of them amounted to anything. And one of them, Yamamoto, is with us. So, that was a pretty good move. You get a superstar player that, yeah, fell off a little bit, but he was playing great when he first came to the Brewers. And the prospects he gave up did nothing, right? Another big move I want to talk about is, you know, he brought in Mustakas back in 2018, who played great for them down the stretch, was a big part in the reason they succeeded down the stretch in 2018, right? Those are just two of the many moves I could go through. So not only was the Brewers team competitive under him, but he also made some really good moves for that organization. So he has the track record to be successful. So I'm excited. And another nugget, a lot of you might not care about this, but to me it has meaning. He grew up a Mets fan. So just like Steve Cohen, this means something to him. Now, obviously Steve Cohen, he wants to see the Mets succeed because he wants to get a return on investment because that's what this is. This is a business to him. And obviously Stearns wants to see the Mets succeed because he's got a job on the line and he wants to build a resume. But they also, as Mets fans, they care a little bit extra. You know, Cohen being a Mets fan, he cares a little bit more than the average owner. And Stearns being, you know, a Mets fan cares a little bit more than the average, you know, president of baseball operations. So I'm really excited overall. He's got the track record, grew up a Mets fan. You know, he, he seems like he knows his stuff. Again, I didn't like his first move of letting Buck go, but, you know, maybe he wants a clean state. It's a clean slate, and he wants to start fresh, and you can't fault him for that either. So, really excited to see him. Really, really excited to see what he could do for this Mets team. And I'm ex excited to see him hold down the fort as Mets GM until they uh, find someone to take that spot. Because he could do it. You know, I don't, I'm sure the Mets don't want to have him doing both president of baseball operations and the GM for a long time, considering, you know, this is, he's new to the Mets. This is his first year. It's not like he's been here years, but he could do it for a little bit while they figure out what they're doing with the manager spot because that's more pressing. But we'll see what he does with the Mets. We'll see how it goes. But Mets fans, let's promise each other something. Let's not turn on him. Like we did with Showalter and Epler, the moment things go bad, because I'm sure there will be times where, you know, the Mets aren't going to win 162 games. I'm sure there's going to be times, stretches where the Mets are struggling. Let's not turn on them. All right, he, I, 
I'm tired of seeing fans turn on the players, turn on the the managers. It's just, it's just not a good look. So if promise yourself something. If the Mets struggle a little bit next year, let's not go crazy and say Stearns isn't the guy and Stearns stinks. And let's not compl- complain about whoever comes in as manager and GM. Let's have their backs because the Mets are in the right direction. The Mets might have some tough patches, tough times next year, but we're in the right direction. You know, it takes time. Look at the Braves, for example, which the Braves, you saw them choke. That was nice to see. But the Braves, how do you think they get this good? They have a lot of young players, right? Harris, Strider, Grissom, you go down the list. Riley, a lot of these guys, they either drafted or got when they were very young and molded. That's what we're kind of seeing here with the Mets. They got a lot of young players that are capable of being molded and crafted and be be a big part in the MLB on this Mets team. So let's not go crazy if the Mets struggle a little bit next year because they are on the path of having that kind of Braves roster where you have a lot of young guys where you could expect to see them for years, right? This isn't the 2022 Mets where they played well, but you had a lot of older veterans on it. You're going to see a young Mets team thrive these next few years, and it'll be pleasant to see. And it starts with, obviously, the work Epler did, but I'm sure whoever they bring as manager will really help craft this team, and I'm sure Stearns will do a really nice job of complementing this team, the pieces that they need. We'll see what he he decides to uh, to push as president of baseball operations, and we'll see what the new GM decides to uh, to address. Right? What I'd like to see them address first is let's get Alonzo on a contract here, a long term contract. You heard Stern say that he plans on Alonzo being the opening day first baseman for the Mets next season. That's great, but. I don't want to stop there. Let's put him on a long-term contract. Let's let's really get him in the blue and orange forever. He should retire a Met. I mean, there's no reason he shouldn't retire a Met. He's a great hitter, great power hitter. I mean, these power hitters don't grow on trees. So, you know, he's a good fielder too. I know he makes some boneheaded throws sometimes and plays, but he's really improved his fielding too. And he's a solid fielder out there. So... The first order of business I want to see the Mets do here is let's get him on a long-term contract. Then I think we need to sign some pitching. I mean, the Mets need pitching. You have Sanga, who is an ace. You have Quintana, who I think is a solid back-end-of-rotation guy. You have Lucchese. He's another guy that maybe you, he could be your your fifth starter in the rotation, right? But right now, looking at the Mets pitching rotation, you have a one in Sanga. You have a four in Quintana, five in Lucchese. You could push Quintana up to a three maybe, but I think he's more of a four starter. So in my opinion, you need a number two and a number three. Well, how are you going to uh, fill those spots? Well, I think you need to go out and get Yamamoto from Japan. I think that is the number one goal for the Mets here after locking up Alonzo. But the number one goal for the pitching rotation 
is you got to go out and get Yamamoto. He's a beast. He just won another Triple Crown. He's got a career 1.72 ERA in Japan, under a 1.3 ERA last season. He's only 25 years old, so it's not like you're getting an older rookie in Sango who is 30. You're getting a young rookie, right? That is the Mets' must-do, is go out and get Yamamoto. There's no excuse for them to let him go to another team. They must sign him. You saw what Sango was able to do. He transitioned nice. I'm sure Sango will help with Yamamoto's transition. He was a beast in Japan, and it doesn't always translate, but you see it translate plenty of times. You must go and get this guy. He could easily be your number two, and you know maybe he even pitches better than Senga, and he really is your number one. I mean, the point is you would have a superstar pitching rotation in a Senga and Yamamoto one-two punch. That would be killer right there with a Quintana and a Lucchese back end of rotation, guys. That right there is a really, really good rotation, and that's without filling that third spot which I think the Mets must do because you can't give Peterson or McGill any more chances. You have to move on, right? Look at McGill. He's got a 4.7 ERA in 2023, 5.13 ERA in 2022. People were acting like he was the next to Grom because he came up late, similar age, you know, kind of similar rotation, this and that. He's not the Grom. He's not. Everyone that comes up with similar rotation and similar age is not going to be the next to Grom. So, McGill, I hope he succeeds wherever he goes, but I, I don't see it being here. I think we must move on from McGill. Peterson is another guy. <coughs> Excuse me. Peterson, I really thought he was going to take off this year. He had a solid year in 2022. He had a 3.83 ERA in 2022. I thought he was going to be a great back in rotation guy this year. And he completely disappointed, 5.03 ERA in 2023. So those are two guys I think we must move on from. And you cannot give any chance next year. They should not be pitching in the Mets rotation next year. Sorry, guys, but you can't. So the Mets should go out and get a third star, or, you know, a, a number three starter, per se. Because um, I don't think Sanga, Yamamoto, Quintana, and Lucchese is enough because... Right off the bat, you're down uh, another starter because you need five in your rotation. But what if someone gets hurt? You don't know. It, what if Yamamoto struggles? He might. I highly doubt it, but he might. What if, like I said, what if someone gets hurt? You saw Quintana, unfortunately, had that injury and missed most of last or this past season, excuse me. So between maybe Yamamoto struggling, unlikely but possible, and injuries, you have to get another guy at least, I think you need an, another two or three guys. So I don't know who the Mets will go after after Yamamoto. Obviously, from a pitching standpoint, it won't be Otani. I'm not saying the Mets won't go after Otani, but he's not going to be able to pitch. Do you know he's, he's getting the elbow surgery? He's going to be out, you know, pitching wise all of next year. He'll he'll still bat, and I'm sure, I'm sure he'll still be a force in the DH spot. But he's not going to be able to pitch next year. So Otani won't fill that spot. You know, he's he's not pitching. So we'll see what the Mets do. That's my major concern with the Mets. Obviously, after they bring, you know, obviously after they sign Alonzo to a long-term contract, my biggest concern with this Mets team is pitching. 
and I think they need to go heavy on pitching. That was the reason why, obviously, their bats helped. But I think a, a really big reason why they succeeded in 2022 was the pitching. Obviously, Showalter had something to do with it. Appler had something to do with it with the roster constructed. The lineup had something to do with it. They were hitting well, but Chavez, being the hitting coach, he was a good coach for them. But I really think the biggest reason they succeeded in 2022 was pitching. And you saw in 2023, uh, other than Senga, the pitching struggled. Scherzer did not pitch the way he should have. He didn't have DeGrom as he went to the Rangers. Verlander was out for the first month. Then he came back, pitched solid, but you know he only pitched for the Mets two months, and then you get rid of him. So the reason why I think the Mets struggled so much this year, this past season here, was, yeah, injuries, but... The pitching was not sharp, and that was their strength in 2022. So I would like to see them get back to that. Go get Yamamoto. Go get another starter at least to fill out that five-man rotation, and then look into depth, whether you have it in AAA or, in my opinion, you don't, and you have to go get it. I mean, they have some young guys coming up like Vassil. You know, maybe, maybe he could be something. I don't know. We'll have to see. So they might have it in AAA. I'm not saying the Mets have to go out and get another four starters and they ought to be free agents. The Mets might have some depth or some pieces even in AAA, like a vassal. But only time will tell. We have to see them perform. And they might not be ready next year. They might need more time. So that is where I think the Mets need to focus most on is... Go out and get pitching. They could use a DH, but my biggest concern is the pitching. Go out and get some pitching. Now, there's two names that I think are interesting with DH spot. Obviously, we'll start with Otani. Go out and get Otani. Look, I think Otani's a, a great player, superstar. But with his injury and his inability to pitch you know, next year, I don't think the Mets should go out and offer him $600 million. I think he's a great pitcher and a great batter and a great player. And he might go down as the best we've ever seen to play the, the sport of baseball. But I don't want to give him $600 million if he's only going to be able to hit next year. I don't. That's a lot of money. Part of the reason why he was going to get that kind of money was because he's a two-way player. Well, this is not his first surgery. And now he can't pitch all next year. And who knows what kind of pitcher he'll be after the surgery when he's finally able to pitch. So I'm a little concerned with that. I don't know if I'd give him the $600 million. Look, he's worth a DH spot. He's hitting, you know, 35-plus home runs, 40 home runs. He, he's hitting well. He's seeing the ball well. He's hitting home runs, driving in runs. He's hitting pretty good average. He's doing everything you want as a hitter. But... If he's not pitching, I don't want to give him that kind of money. Not only is he not pitching next year, but we don't know how that you know surgery will go, and we don't know how he'll pitch afterwards. And he's getting a little bit older. You know, he's not going to be able to do this forever. I highly doubt 35 years old, he's going to be pitching and hitting. There will be a point in time where he's not able to do both. And he's going to be under contract when that happens. So I want to see the Mets bring in time, but only for the right price. If he's really going to need... You know, $600 million. Unfortunately, I think the Mets need to move on. 
Another player I would like to see the Mets at least look into, and I think, you know, I think he'd be better fit for the Mets right now than Otani because there's so many question marks with Otani's arm and not being able to pitch and whatnot. Juan Soto. Now, you're not going to be able to sign him. He's under contract. You have to trade for him. But I really like the idea of the Mets getting Juan Soto. He's only 24 years old, number one. I feel like he's been around forever, but he, he's only 24 years old. I mean, he has been around forever. He got called up young. What was it, 19, 20 years old when he uh, made his debut? So he's been around a while. But he is only 24 years old. That's really young. So you sign him to, you know, if you get him and you sign him to a long-term contract, it's not like he's 30 and you have to worry about, well, now I'm going to have to pay him into his 40s and he's going to produce the same and this and that. He's young. But also, he's a great defensive right fielder. He covers a lot of ground. He's got a good arm. People don't realize how good of a def- defender he is because people focus on his bat. He's a very good defender. It's not only is he young and he's a good defender, but he also hits very well, something you need in the DH spot. He, you know, his back cooled off a little bit. If you remember his first year with the Padres, wow, did he struggle big time. He's batting, I think I think he batted under 240 his first year with the Padres, which was only, what, 55 games or so? He didn't play the whole season with the Padres. But, you know, his first year with the Padres, the 55 games or whatever was, he really struggled. His power wasn't the same. He wasn't hitting well, wasn't seeing the ball well, but... Last season, or this past season, excuse me, he hit well. You know, a .275 average, right? He had 35 home runs and 109 RBIs. So the power was there. The ability to drive in runs was there. He was hitting pretty well for average. Maybe still a little bit lower than we're used to seeing with him, but 275 average is still pretty darn good, especially when you're hitting 35 bombs and driving 109 RBIs. You know, usually like Alonzo. Love Alonzo, but you saw his average was under 230, right? So if you're able to hit that many home runs and drive in RBIs, usually you see the average dip. And his average is still 275, pretty well. I think he's a better fit than going out and getting Otani. Because with Soto, younger, he I feel like he has a better chance of staying healthy. I think he could really play well in New York. You know, I think he could take the heat, be a good leader. I don't know if Otani is ready for the New York crowd. Um, Don't know how well he would do with the media. You know, who knows how his arm will be. Who knows if he's even interested in the East Coast. I just feel like there's a lot of question marks with Otani. Because his agent says he's interested in the East Coast, but that could just be because he wants more offers. So, again, a lot of question marks with Otani. I think Soto is the better option to go for. He's kind of mentioned he wants to play in New York. I think he would hit well City Field, play the field well City Field, though. The Mets got him. It might be more of a DH with a little bit of field time because you have Marte, you have Gilbert that'll be up, you have Acuna that'll be up, you have Nimmo, you have McNeil who still plays outfield. You know, he plays second base more, but they put him in the outfield plenty of time. So who knows how much time will get out there. He might be more of a DH, but... I would still expect to see him get, you know, some time out there. He's a good defensive player. Who knows how much the Padres will ask for him? His asking price will probably be high. The Padres aren't going to say, oh, 
Mets, you want him? We'll give you we'll give you uh, Soto for Brett Beatty and Vientos. That's not going to be enough. So if you know, it all depends on what the asking price is. I think Soto is the better option right now than Otani. Too many question marks with Otani. I would like to see the Mets pursue both of them, but I would rather see the Mets put more attention on Soto. But I would only like to see the Mets get him if the price is right. Don't give up the whole farm. Don't give up everything for Soto, right? Just like don't give up the whole bank account. Don't break the piggy bank. Don't give up $600 million for Otani with his elbow problems. So we'll see how the Mets decide to go about this. But those are two really good DH options that are going to be costly in prospects and money. But those are two DH options that the Mets must pursue. Like I said, the Mets go either way. They could get Soto. They could get Otani. I mean, either one's fine with me. I would like to see them get one of them. But to me, I just feel like there's too many question marks with Otani. Does he like the East Coast? How much money is he going to command? You know, is his elbow going to be okay? Is he going to pitch the same afterwards? You can't, you know, have him as a pitcher next year. Uh, a position the Mets really need is pitcher. You know, they really need more pitchers. And, you know, when will his body catch up with him? That's another thing we're not asking. I mean, he's not going to be doing this forever. So when will his body catch up with him? When will he not be able to do both? So I just feel like there's a lot of question marks. I'd rather see the Mets give up some prospects, players. Don't, you know, destroy the farm system. Don't deplete it. But give up some players. Go get Soto. And then bring him in and sign him to a long-term deal. And he'll he'll probably be your DH. Like I said, he's going to see the outfield. He's a good outfielder. But you're going to have Acuna, Gilbert, who might be ready next year. Definitely by 2025. And they both look like the real deal. And you have Nimmo. So between those three, they're going to fill it up. Whether you want to put Gilbert and Acuna in the corners. And Nimmo in center field. You want to move Nimmo to a corner. Gilbert in a corner and put a CUNY in center field, regardless of how you want to do this, they're going to be your three outfielders. So Soto will probably be the DH, even though he can still play the field pretty well. You know, he'll be out there when people need days off. Nimmo's getting older, he'll need days off. But Soto, in my opinion, with all that said, I just think he's the better fit for the Mets, even though you're going to be giving up players because you have to trade for him, whereas Otani, you're just signing. To me... Too many question marks for Otani. Soto, he could field, he could hit. That he'll be able to do 10 years from now. So I would rather see them get Soto, but I'm fine with either one. I just want to see one of them. Now to end, end the night here, briefly I want to talk about the four baby Mets per se, which I hate that term, um, but the four young Mets, right? <coughs> you have Alvarez. You have Mauricio, you have Vientos, you have Beatty. In my opinion, the only two of them, you know, only two of the four of them have a future with the Mets. It's Alvarez and Mauricio. Alvarez, in my opinion, I think he's going to be a really good defensive catcher. He's going to be a good hitter with a lot of pop. His average will be down, but he'll have plenty of pop in his bat. With Mauricio, the kid can hit, man. And he could play the field, too, pretty darn well. I mean, third base, he's going to need some work. He plays a good second base. 
So to me, these two players in Alvarez and Mauricio have a future with the Mets. To me, Vientos, I haven't been impressed with what I've seen. I wish him nothing but the best, but to me, Vientos should be more of a trade piece. I haven't been overly impressed with what I've seen. And to me, if you go get Soto, you don't need him for a DH spot. I mean, maybe as a uh, backup first baseman to Alonzo, but Alonzo plays a lot of games. He doesn't need a lot of time off. So to me, I've always felt Vientos is a trade piece. I think you should look into uh, using him as a you know a centerpiece for a trade, possibly a pitcher. I'd rather see a starting pitcher, but maybe a relief pitcher. The Mets need pitching. So to me, Vientos, I don't really know if he has a future with the Mets. I'd like to see him use his trade bait. Beatty, I'm torn on him. I don't know if I want to see the Mets trade him, but I really don't know if he has a future in the MLB, at least with the Mets. I don't like what I see from him defensively. I have not been impressed with him as a third baseman defensively. He's a liability out there, in my opinion. I'd rather Mauricio at third base. To me, I think you put McNeil at second base and you move Mauricio over to third, and he's going to have growing pains. You saw it this past season. But to me, Mauricio is a better third baseman right now than Beatty. I trust him more. So, Beatty, to me, liability third base, I mean, where are you going to move him? You going to move him to outfield? Well, you have plenty of outfielders. Even if you don't go get Soto, you have, you know, Nimmo, you have Acuna, you have Gilbert. These guys will be ready, in my opinion. So, to me, Beatty... Beatty and Vientos, you're either going to use them as really just bench pieces, you know, and slot them in there when people need days off, or you trade them. I don't really know if they have a ton of value. I mean, Vientos, solid defender, third baseman. I was fairly impressed with what I saw from him. I think he's a solid backup first baseman, but, you know, his bat, I don't think it's really there, but I do trust his bat more than Beatty. Beatty... I don't think he could field that well. I don't think he could hit that well. Great AAA hitter. I mean, it's incredible. He might be the best AAA hitter we've ever seen. But it's not translating the MLB. So, I want to see them succeed with the Mets, Vientos and Beatty. And I'm not saying you should just write them off. What I'm saying is, do you see spots for them? I think Mauricio should be the third baseman for the Mets. And you go have McNeil at second base. I know he had an off year, but he's still McNeil. And he's still a good defender, even if his bat's not there. So where are you going to put Beatty? I don't really know if he's an outfielder. I mean, he was struggling at third base. Do we think that he could play the outfield? I mean, maybe. We've seen people, you know, move around. I mean, look at Daniel Murphy. Third baseman. He's blocked by David Wright. You put him in the outfield. He stunk in the outfield. You put him at second base or first base. That's where he really played well. So maybe that's kind of like Beatty. Maybe the outfield is where we really see him blossom. But I don't know. He's not like quick. You know, he's not a quick guy. I don't see him covering a lot of ground. Don't know if he has He has a fairly strong arm, but I don't know if he has an accurate arm. So to me, I think Alvarez and, and Mauricio are really the guys that are going to be here for the long run. Beatty and Vientos, I think, are more of bench pieces that you could use as trade bait. 
But to me, Bidian Vientos, there's not really a lot there for me to be excited about. But, you know, I hope they do well, and I hope they prove me wrong. I want to be proved wrong on this. I want to see them succeed with the Mets. I want Beatty to be everything he's supposed to be, and same with Vientos. But, I mean, have we seen enough to be that excited? The Mets need pitching. You go and get Yamamoto, but in my opinion, you still need another pitcher. Even if some of these guys like Vassal is ready, I still think you need another pitcher or two. You know, that's maybe where you get it with a Beatty or Andor, I should say, Beatty Andor Vientos trade. Maybe that's where you get another guy, another arm, another solid arm. So we'll see what they decide to do, but that's my take on the four young guys there. I think you should expect to see Alvarez and Mauricio here for a while, but Beatty and Vientos, I think they're really just more bench pieces or trade pieces. I don't really think that they're really part of the long-term future of the Mets. I don't. But only time will tell. And also, let's briefly talk about the MLB playoffs. As you all know, four teams stand. You got the Rangers, you got the Astros, and then you got the Diamondbacks and the Phillies. Look, as a Mets fan, this is a little difficult. Obviously, I want the Phillies bounced out right away. I don't want to see them move to the, you know, I don't want to see them move any forward. I don't want to see them get to the World Series. And I really don't want to see them win the World Series. But in my opinion, the Phillies are going to steamroll over the Diamondbacks. I mean, Diamondbacks won 84 games, barely made it in. Um, I don't see how the Diamondbacks could beat the Phillies here. The Phillies have a deeper lineup. In my opinion, the Phillies right now, have better pitching. I mean, I'm taking Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. I'm I just am. So and their and their bullpen is really coming along. The Phillies bullpen. I mean, that was their kryptonite, and they looked really good against the Braves. Their bullpen. So, to me, the Phillies are just too strong for the Diamondbacks. And even if the Phillies pitching struggles, you gotta tell me the Diamondbacks are going to be able to take down this Phillies lineup. I mean, this Phillies lineup is no joke. So what Cassianos did the other day with two home runs against Strider. So I don't see the Diamondbacks coming even close. I think the Phillies roll over them. Now, as for the Mets, you know, as for the, uh, excuse me, as for the Rangers and the Astros, you know, it's, I go either way, but like I said, it's it's tough for the Mets here. It's tough for me as a Mets fan because not only are the Phillies likely to advance, and I don't want to see that, but I think the Rangers are going to advance, and I don't want to sound bitter, but I hate the idea of DeGrom, even though he didn't really pitch that much this year. I hate the idea of him winning a ring. You know, his first ring, not with the Mets. He should have won his first World Series ring with the Mets. Should have happened. Never happened, obviously. I don't want to see him not succeed. I like the guy. I just hate the idea of him, his first year not with the Mets, he goes and wins a World Series ring. It just makes my stomach turn. So, 
that's why I say it's difficult here as a Mets fan because what's likely going to happen is the Phillies and Rangers are going to advance. And then, obviously, I'd rather the Rangers win, but I wouldn't be thrilled about it with Scherzer mouthing off and getting traded to the Rangers and going and winning the World Series. I'm really not happy with the way he handled himself when he left and complained about the Mets and how they're not going to be competitive and this and that. And I hate the idea of Dugramas, first year now with the Mets, he goes and wins the World Series, even though he's not healthy, he's not pitching. But to me, I think the Rangers will win that series. They're just they're playing incredible baseball. No offense to the Astros, they are too. But to me, I think the Rangers, they edge that one out. It's close, but I think the Rangers overall have a slightly better team. They're pitching a little bit better. Uh, their lineup, in my opinion, might be a little bit deeper. I think the Rangers edge that one out, but that one's going to be a lot closer. I think the Phillies roll over the Dimebacks, no problem. The Rangers, they're going to have to fight for that series win. It's not going to come easy. So I think you're looking at a Rangers-Phillies World Series, and I would rather see the Rangers win, but I think the Phillies would have a stronger team than the Rangers. So with the four teams remaining here, I really hope I'm wrong. But I think the Phillies have the strongest team. And I, I think the Phillies are playing the hottest baseball. And I think the Phillies have the greatest chance of winning the World Series. If the Phillies go up against the Astros in the World Series, I think with the way the Phillies are playing right now, I don't know if the Astros could beat them. So that's my take on the last four teams standing. I think three of them in the... In the Phillies, the Astros, and the Rangers are strong teams. I think the Dimebacks, they're just playing hot right now. I don't think they're really near. I don't think they're even close to as strong as any of those other three teams I just mentioned in the Rangers, Phillies, or the Astros. But it, it's tough out here as a Mets fan because what's likely going to happen is I really think you're looking at a Phillies Rangers World Series. And obviously, as a Mets fan, I'm rooting for. The Rangers, but I, them winning doesn't make me happy. You know, it, it's with Scherzer and how he left and DeGrom, and it's not like I'm, I'm jumping up and down for joy with them winning the World Series. So we'll have to see, but I think that you're looking at a Phillies-Rangers World Series and I unfortunately think the Phillies would edge that one out. Brutal. But, you know, Mets, there's nothing we could do. You know, at the end of the day, we need to focus on our team. Like, I am happy that the, or excuse me, I am happy that the Braves are out. And I am upset that the Phillies are still in it. But at the end of the day, we need to focus less on how the Braves and the Phillies are doing and rooting against them. We need to focus more on how we could fix the Mets so they could be in the World Series next year and they could be better than the Braves and Phillies. You know, I, as a Mets fan, I'm getting tired of spending the offseasons rooting against, you know, other teams and, and worrying about how they're doing. I want to be worried about how the Mets are doing and I want to be, you know, watching them play deep into the postseason. So this playoff run, and I plan on doing this with future playoff runs, I'm more worried about how we can improve the Mets, and we all need to start thinking about that. I know a lot of fans out there are celebrating the Braves losing, and now 
worried about what's going to happen with the Phillies. We should be happy that the Braves are out, and we should be happy if the Phillies get eliminated. But let's focus more on how we can improve the Mets. You know, we're not going to fix the Mets by worrying about the Braves and the Phillies. You know? So, we'll see. But let, the Mets have a lot of work to do, right? The, the Mets aren't going to be fixed overnight. The Mets need pitching, starting pitching specifically. They they need a few guys, whether they have it in AAA or not. They need a few guys here. They definitely need a bullpen. Diaz doesn't do it. You know, he's the only... He, you can't have a one-guy bullpen. Diaz can't put the whole bullpen on his back and carry the bullpen for 162 games. Diaz is obviously great, and I'm excited to see him back next year, but Mets need more than Diaz. And the Mets need another bat in the DH spot specifically. So we'll see what they do, but only time will tell. So that's going to do for today, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you know where to find me, Twitter or Instagram, even my website. But again, thank you all for your support. Have a great day. Talk to you next week.